Our order of scripture readings for this morning is reversed. Uh, We'll begin with our New Testament reading, which today comes to us from the sixth chapter of the book of Hebrews, beginning at verse 10 and continuing through verse 12. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. The Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. He has been called the weeping prophet for his prophecies have been rather gloomy on the whole. And here we hear uh, an opposing viewpoint from the book of Jeremiah, another prophet, a contemporary of his by the name of Hananiah, who who wants to dispel some of that gloom and replace the people's mourning with dancing. So I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is here written. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon within two years. I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's home, which King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place King Jeconiah, son of Jehoiakim of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then... The prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words that you have prophesied and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. But listen now to this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes true, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah and broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people saying, thus says the Lord, this is how I will break the yoke of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon from the neck of all the nations within two years at this. The prophet Jeremiah went his way. Here ends this reading 
from God's holy word. This morning's Old Testament reading, as suggested by our revised common lectionary, includes these verses that we just heard, and, well, they can admittedly be a a bit hard to follow, especially if you haven't been reading what's gone on before, and if you don't read what goes on after. So we'll take it nice and slow as we seek to hear from these words a word from the Lord for us today. Here we are privileged to be overhearing a conversation which took place in public between two prophets of the Most High God. This chapter, the 28th, opens with an address which Hananiah made to the priests and all the people there in the house of the Lord, probably in what was left of the temple of Jerusalem. And Hananiah is the bearer of good news. And in the minds of those who heard him, it was probably about time. He claims that a word from the Lord has come to him and revealed that the king and the people and the treasures of the temple, which the Babylonians had taken with them after their successful campaign against the southern kingdom of Judah, were going to be returned in two years. And in response to this proclamation, Jeremiah echoes the thought which was probably foremost in the minds of all those who heard this striking prophecy of Hananiah, and that was, Amen! Amen, brother! Roughly translated, that means, may it be so. However, then Jeremiah goes on to issue a word of caution to his fellow prophet and to those who heard his words. But Hananiah doubles down and he graphically illustrates that the Lord has revealed to him that he will accomplish the breaking of the Babylonians' power over the Israelites in two years' time. And with that, we are told, Jeremiah shuts up. He says nothing more. He simply leaves and goes his way. It seems he had said everything that he needed to say to Hananiah. He wasn't about to argue further with a fellow prophet, at least not in public. But we are left with this lingering scent of skepticism in the air as Jeremiah departs stage left. And it turns out that the yoke was on Hananiah. Sorry, I couldn't resist that pun. If we were to read a bit further on in the 28th chapter of the book of the prophet Jeremiah, we would indeed see that this cautionary reaction he has to Hananiah's words is warranted. For the word of the Lord comes to him, Jeremiah, and reiterates that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has no intention of returning anything anytime soon. Indeed, his grip on his possessions was only going to get 
tighter. He was going to exchange the yoke, the one that Hananiah had ceremonially broken there in front of the people, with a yoke of iron that would be unbreakable. Further, he tells Jeremiah, go call Hananiah out on this, for I gave no such word to him. One might assume, therefore, that the words which Hananiah spoke were his own and were not divinely inspired. Not that Hananiah didn't believe the words that he spoke, for it may well have been that he did. We have no way of knowing. But if he thought that wishful thinking was going to bring about a change in the Israelites' unpleasant circumstances within a rather short span of time, well, he was sadly mistaken. Prior to the fall of the southern kingdom to the Babylonians, the king in Jerusalem had surrounded himself with court prophets. Their job had been to act as intermediaries between the, the Lord God and his appointed representative, the king. They were to regularly check in with the Almighty to ensure that the sovereign was doing the will of God. But there was a bit of a conflict of interest going on here because these professional prophets were on the payroll of the government. And it was therefore in their best interest to refrain from reporting bad news to their boss. Uh, they knew that the king wanted to be surrounded by a bunch of yes men. So accordingly, they made it a practice to validate the decisions of the king, whether they were in the best interest of the people and their God or not. Now, Jeremiah had long since become known, like McKemmy, as a dissenter, even in the years that led up to the Babylonian assault and eventual capture of Jerusalem. It's frequently brought him into conflict with the governing authorities in the southern kingdom of Judah. Well, after the fall of that great city, Jerusalem, he remained there amidst the rubble and the ruin and the remnant, and he continued to speak this dissenting voice. He was speaking the truth given to him by the God of the Israelites. His messages, as you might imagine, were not all that popular. For in this time, God was chastising his people for their sinfulness and their rebelliousness against him. And he was doing so through the use of other human agents. And by this point in time, the children of God were impatient for relief from their chastisement. Day before yesterday, our, our community men's Bible study and prayer breakfast, we were commenting on how consistent mankind has shown ourselves to be over time. Throughout this passage from Jeremiah, we get a sense uh, of our consistency. 
Although we weren't studying Jeremiah Friday, we were studying Psalms, and the depiction of the people of God there showed a propensity for impatience as well. So whether it was in the wilderness of Sinai, whether it was during the exile in Babylon, whether it was during the years that the psalmist was writing, the Hebrews had a habit of demonstrating a lack of patience with their God. When Moses went up the mountain to meet with the Lord, he was gone less than six weeks. And the people decided, well, we waited long enough. He isn't coming back. Let's move on. Let's get the show on the road. And so they made for themselves a, a surrogate idol in the wilderness. And when Moses, a couple of days later, comes back, he didn't look kindly on what the people had done in his absence to preempt any wrath on the part of a jealous God. Moses told the people what they had to do to make amends, whereas the captivity in Babylon had dragged on for much longer than the 40 days that the people were without Moses. By the time Hananiah offered his oracle, the chastisement of the people was still not fully accomplished. And it would not be fully accomplished until such time as the Lord declared that it should be accomplished. This wishful thinking on the part of Hananiah and his feel-good prophecy would not be sufficient to draw this chapter of the Israelites' history to a close. As we, in this service and as a nation, later on this week, formally celebrate the birth of a nation, it's worth recalling that although we here in the colonies declared ourselves to be a free and independent people, the reality of that vision was not fully accomplished for another seven long and difficult years. I make this observation in order to reinforce a lesson being offered in the Old Testament reading, that man's timing and God's timing, they're not necessarily congruent all the time. You heard the sayings that Rome wasn't built in a day and all good things come to those who wait. Well, it seems that herein is a, a valuable truth to be learned about waiting on the Lord. Whereas the desire for a quick end exile and the desire of our founding fathers to bring forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, post-haste, their dream did not come to fruition until much blood had been spilled and many years had passed. They didn't all live to make it to the promised land. To bring this truth home, it's not just groups of people, whether they be our spiritual ancestors, the Israelites, or our national ancestors, the colonists, who collectively long for God to act on their behalf. It is individuals who find themselves in this predicament as well. The psalmist finds himself in times of trial and wonders over and over if God is even listening, if he is attentive to his predicament. 
And it is no different in our own time either. We want answers, and we want them now. We want action. When do we want it? Now. Despite what may be appearances to the contrary, I will admit that I am not always the most patient person. There have been occasions when I have been known to visit the dessert table before getting into the buffet line for everything else. I've given in to my desire for a particular confection such that I wanted to be sure that I didn't miss out on it when it came my turn to make a selection. We really aren't all that different than the people who've gone before us. And God is remarkably consistent as well. So while we can't know God's timing, nor can we ever force his hand to alter it, we do have the assurance that we are not forgotten nor forsaken. The Apostle Paul, who himself had repeatedly prayed to the Lord for relief from a, a thorn in the flesh that was not taken from him, observed that all things work together for good for those who love God. So it isn't a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. People have made all kinds of predictions about the, the end of the world and about the second coming of Christ. Yet neither of these things has happened to date. We're still waiting. And though we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we've also been told that no one knows the time that has been appointed for these things to take place. So what are we to do? In the wilderness, the Israelites showed us what not to do, not to spark God's anger by taking matters into our own hands. Hananiah has shown us what not to do by saying what we think people want to hear and believing that which merely suits our own interests and desires. In an effort to avoid such mistakes, perhaps the best that we can do is that which Paul commended to the Corinthians when he wrote, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. See, he didn't put a, a limit on the time of that labor. I would add to his observation that, that our time is not wasted as we wait either. We continue to wait on the Lord to fulfill all the promises contained in his holy word. Even in the midst of the waiting, the Lord is here. He's here with us as we wait. And that's the thought I want to leave you with this morning. As much as we would love to be over and done with our troubles straight away, there are certain challenges each and every one of us together or individually we're going to have to face and endure. 
As we do so, we can take comfort and strength from the knowledge that we don't go through these times alone. It isn't as if God has taken a break. He hasn't gone on vacation for the 4th of July and left us to deal with our own trials, to bear the yoke of our burdens alone. No, even in the waiting and the waiting and the waiting, he is still with us, giving us all we need for the living of these days as we grow in Christ through the hard times as well as the good in our sufferings as well as our celebrations. And for that, we may truly say thanks be to God and amen.